Okay, our children are being dismissed at this time, and we're about to turn to the Scripture. Thank you for being here today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be reading quite a bit of Scripture today, and we're going to begin at Exodus 35. How many of you found when you came in today, you had difficulty finding your seat? I told someone, I don't believe there's a single chair in this building that's where it was last Sunday. They've all been turned a different direction and moved around. And that's because we had to do what I told you I was going to do, make room for the tabernacle. Up until today, we had everything kind of shifted from about this point forward. But now we've got to lay it all out there and spend the next three weeks completing our journey. I think this is Sunday number four um, that we're talking about the tabernacle. And today, we're going to be focusing in a few moments on the golden lampstand. But since I have um, completely changed things around, I think we're going to have to have an orientation. Don't you think so? Because it looks totally different than it did last week. And we were used to looking at things from a perspective of, of uh, looking at these um, railings here and these markers. We were looking at these as the entrance into the temple area, into the courts. And that's changed completely this week. Because now if we're going to look for the area that the Bible says, I will enter his, with thanksgiving in my heart, I will enter his courts with praise, then we're going to have to look back behind me. So today we have moved the entrance into the tabernacle complex back here so that these doors could represent what I just said, the scripture that David would sing to the Lord. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. And if you'll remember the first thing, according to scripture, when you walk through the gates of the tabernacle or the temple later when it was built, when you walk through the gates, the first thing you saw was what? The brazen altar. You couldn't escape it. You couldn't ignore it. You couldn't say, well, I didn't see that. Because right in front of the gates, when you came in, that brazen altar would be there. We spent uh, one entire Sunday talking about this and how it was um, a very important thing that happened here. The Lord had a way of bringing us all to a point of understanding how serious that sin is. And that something... Someone or something had to atone for our sin. So as he started out with this whole um, lesson that we're talking about here, giving his people the tabernacle and later to the temple when it became a permanent place, he, he wanted to teach them some things that were very important. You may remember we started out talking about the ABCs. You have to learn your ABCs before you can speak sentences and paragraphs and write novels. This goes all the way back to the ABCs. He wanted them to understand some very basic things. And the first Sunday we talked about this brazen altar. It was an altar in which there was fire burning from from daylight to dark and sacrifices were being offered. They had sacrifices they made in the morning. They had sacrifices they made in the evening. And then there were times when people could come through the doors or through the gates of the courtyard there to this place. And as we've seen, if take us to the next slide, please. As we've seen, there would be 
uh, priest there. There would be animals all in the courtyard here waiting their turn to be sacrificed, literally dying right here in this area in the courtyard where their throats would be slit, their blood would be spilt, they would be cut up on these tables and then burnt on an offering, on an altar much bigger than this, but they'd be burned on the altar. It was not a pretty place. It was not a sanitary place. It was not a place that would be pleasing to the eye, but it was designed to drive home to us what the scripture says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. There needs to be an atonement made for mankind who has sinned. And so this is where it started with the killing of the lambs, the killing of the goats, the killing of the the bullocks, and all these animals that were sacrificed there. And then after we talked about that a while, the next Sunday we moved up to the next piece of uh, furniture or furnishing in the um, in the courtyard, and that was this thing we call the laver, the brazen altar or bronze altar, and the bronze laver. It was filled with water, and it was designed, as you can imagine, how messy this would be for the priest to make these sacrifices and and offer meat on this altar and spill blood and all that goes along with it. Then they would come here and be able to wash their hands and feet and and become clean again before they went in there to minister or minister further out here. It was a place of cleansing. So we talked about how this was a place. Now, this is not Pastor Ron's um, wording. This is the Bible wording where a person would come in with their sheep and they would stand here before the priest And the Bible says that they were supposed to lay there, not the priest, but the person who has sinned. The person lays his hand on the head of the sheep. The person takes the life of that sheep himself. And then the priest takes it and offers his own altar as that, here's the biblical word, an atonement for your sin. An atonement for your sin. And every lamb that was sacrificed, every sheep, every goat, every bull, every animal that was sacrificed on this altar, inevitably pointed forward to a time when Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, was going to hang on a cross and spill his blood and be a sacrifice for my sin and for yours. The Bible says that in the mind of God, here's the way he looked at it, and we read this in scripture, that Jesus was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus was not plan B or plan C. Jesus was in God's mind that he knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to have his only begotten son die on a cross. He wanted the people to understand when Jesus came how they could recognize him. The one who spills his blood. The one who loved the world so much that he gave his life for all of us and paid our sin debt for us. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. And when you pray that prayer, when you repent before God and say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I'm guilty. I need forgiveness. I need your grace, Lord. And when you ask him, the Bible says, when you do, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. The scripture says, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then after he has forgiven us of the sins we've committed, we still need some work, don't we? Because we have in us a nature that is like a magnet that'll just draw us right back to do some of the things, the same things we just were forgiven of. 
And so the Bible says we can come here to the laver, representing, representing cleansing and so forth. And we can, and somebody tell me what was the laver made out of? Now I know it was bronze, but what was the laver made out of? All the women brought their bronze mirrors, their prized possession, where they looked at themselves in the little bronze mirrors and shined it up where they could see. All the women brought their mirrors and were able to melt them and make this labor, the Bible says. And so that, that should remind us, that's got to be significant. There's something important about that, as if when we come and we wash, we have to look at ourselves and we have to be honest and admit whatever there is in us that's not right in the sight of God and then trust Him and ask Him to wash us and cleanse us further and to separate us from the world and help us live a life that's pleasing in his sight. We call that sanctification according to the scripture. Now, this has happened thus far in the courtyard. We haven't even got to the tabernacle yet. Now, here's something some may not be aware of. When we speak of the tabernacle, usually, loosely, we're talking about the courtyard and all of you are in the courtyard. Every one of you, all of us are in the courtyard. We're in the courtyard. We've come through the gates. This is the courtyard. The brazen altar, the laver was in the courtyard. And it's all considered the tabernacle. As you see there, everything we would consider that loosely as being the tabernacle. But then there's the tabernacle proper. You know, if I say, I'm going to Walmart. Everybody knows what that means, right? I could say to you, I'll tell you what, let's meet at 7 o'clock at Walmart in the parking lot, and then we'll go from there. Does that make sense? We've all done similar things. That doesn't mean that we've got to go in Walmart to be at Walmart. We understand that Walmart encompasses the whole deal, right? The tabernacle was the same way. The tabernacle included the courtyard, the, the outer fencing area, but when you speak about it more specifically... The tabernacle proper was a tent. You see it pictured there. All it was was a frame that had been built that God instructed and stretched over that frame was other things we'll talk about in a few moments. The tabernacle was a tent. That's all it was. It was a very elaborate one. And we're going to talk in a few moments about the the value monetarily of that particular tent and its contents. But as we as we look at this, And you see represented here for you today, and this is where I want to orient you where we are so we all can understand it. Behind me now is the courtyard, and off to the side is the courtyard. The um, tabernacle proper today is symbolized by this wall right here. I'm standing in the doorway of that tent right here. And then the tent is 15 feet wide, and it goes through here. And right now, I would be standing in what is called the holy place. And the holy place would come all the way up here to the to the inside of a room, which goes, there's a veil here. And the reason I put the center section in here is for us to understand that this veil is solid, and it goes from the floor to the ceiling. And so this room in front of me is called the holy place in scripture. And then if I were to go back into this area, this is called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Now you'll notice that these chairs are spaced apart. We've removed some choir chairs. This back wall would be the back of the tabernacle. 
that um, section of, of um, railings there at the front with the door in it would be the front of the tabernacle. These chairs that are lined up, the tabernacle would be inside of that. So I'm, I'm saying that to let you know this is accurate scripturally. The size of the tabernacle as we have it laid out here is exactly what the scripture says. The most holy place was 15 feet by 15 feet. Then when you moved into the holy place, the holy place was 15 feet by 30 feet, which makes the whole tabernacle 45 feet by 15 feet. And we have it here before us. So we've come into the courts. We've talked about the brazen altar. We've talked about the brazen or the bronze laver. Now we'll come in to the tabernacle proper, as you see it represented there. We're leaving the courtyard. Now we're going in here. Now no one can come in here but the priest. Nobody else could come in here. They could come into the courtyard. They could offer their sacrifices. But nobody but the priest could come inside the tabernacle. Last week, we talked about, and our focus was this table, the table of showbread. It was significant, as we discussed last week, because of the 12 loaves of bread symbolizing who? The 12 tribes of Israel. You could look at this and understand that we're all important to God. You can't take one of these out and throw it away and say we're not important or they're not important. The 12 tribes of Israel, all of them were important to God and represented before the Lord in this holy place. And may I suggest to you that we could even go larger than that today and understand that this could be representative of the body of Christ, which includes all of those who have accepted the Lord Jesus and their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's very important. But perhaps even more important or significant this morning is the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Now, it's really true. It's accurate to say that everything in this complex we call the tabernacle, from the brazen altar to the brazen laver to the table of showbread, and today, this is our particular focus, the golden lampstand. All of this is representative in some way of Jesus. Did not the Bible say? Jesus himself said these words. He said, I am the bread of life. And he said, I am the light of the world. Yes, he did. So it represents Jesus. Everything here represents Jesus. Now, aside from that, it was very important because you've got to remember, I'm not standing in a, a roofless place right now. If I was standing in the literal tabernacle right now, you couldn't see me. You couldn't see me because there'd be walls going up on the inside of these chairs here. There'd be walls going up. There'd be a wall going up there. There would be a closure keeping the door shut. It would be covered over the top, covered on the sides, covered in front and back. It would be what in here? You guys are good. It would be dark in here. They didn't have electricity. There was no light switch to flip on. This was the only light that ever shined in this room after it was assembled. Now, you could walk out here where the bronze altar was and where the bronze laver was, and you could come out here and there'd be what? Sunshine. But when you walked in here, you would have walked into a pitch dark room were it not for this golden lampstand. Now, I'll remind you, 
every piece of uh, furniture that we've talked about now thus far, every bit of it and what is yet to come, every bit of it was designed, planned. The details were given by God. There was no guesswork involved about what he wanted. God told Moses on the mountain exactly what he wanted, how big he wanted it to be, how much it would weigh, how big, how wide it would be, how tall it would be. If you have read the Bible, and some of you have, and you got bored with it, because it's not the kind of reading that makes you want to say glory. There's about three, three books of the Bible that you go through, and this stuff is repeated over and over and over, where God is giving them instructions. And then after God gives those instructions to Moses, Moses turns around and gives those instructions to the people, and it's repeated again. And that's where we kind of get bogged down sometimes. We lose interest. But this is extremely important. The people who crafted these things... They did not have the freedom to come in here and just go wild with their imagination and do what they wanted. They had to make this exactly like the Lord said, do it. The Lord was intentional. God was very precise. He was very exact in giving them the instructions on what to do, how to position it, where to put it. How, how it should be handled, what should be done, for instance, for the golden lampstand here. Do you know that the Lord designated a certain group of people among the priests that their, their job was to make sure this was always lit? It was lit during the day because it was closed in. It would be dark. They had to have it during the day. But as nighttime would fall, the Bible says very specifically, and you tell them to go in at twilight and tend the lamps until morning. So even during the night when there was nobody there, the Bible says that there was a group whose job it was to make sure that the lamps were burning and this light never went out and it would be burning continually. And even now in Judaism, sometimes they call it the eternal lamp. It never goes out. It's always burning because it represents God. It represents the the light that we have when we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus. And it represents Jesus as the bread does and as the cleansing and as the atoning of the altar. Everything now was teaching us and pointing us to the time when the Savior is going to come. Now, if I could, I'd like for you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 35 as we read a passage here that I think will give us some insight to the importance of the the temple and the tabernacle and the things that we read here. In Exodus 35 beginning at verse 4, the Bible says, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate. Verse 14 says, 
because we're focusing on it today. Also, the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light. Now we're going to skip over to verse 30 and read about how important this was in God's eyes that he supernaturally granted skill and ability to some men to do this. Verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. This man Bezalel, he was, he was really important in this passage. And he filled him with the Spirit of God. In wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach, the tribe of Dan, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. Chapter 36. And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Here's an interesting passage, verse 2. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do work. They called for offerings. They called for workers. And then the Bible says in verse 5, they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. And Moses gave a commandment and said, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Wouldn't that be a good problem to have? Then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle, listen to this now, they made ten curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim. They made them. So let's go to the next slide, please. And we'll see on this here is the... Um, a diagram showing these different layers of, of tent covering that have been put on. The first one was fine twined linen. Now this wasn't just a bed sheet, mind you. This was a very ornate, uh, woven with cherubim and angels. Very beautiful, very colorful. But now here's the interesting part. On top of that, there was Another curtain made of goat's hair that went on top of the first. And then there was another covering of ram skin dyed red put on top of that one. And then finally there was another one, another covering of badger skins put on top last. Now, 
as you look at these, you'll notice that the beautiful one is inside where you can see it. The one on top of that is not quite as elaborate, but another covering. And then the third covering, the red one, and then finally what are known as badger skins. I, I, I'll have to confess, all my life I thought I knew what a badger was. I found out this week I did not. If you look up in the dictionary uh, what a badger is, it tells you that it's a, it's a little animal sort of like a groundhog or um, a beaver type animal with sharp claws on its front feet that digs in the earth and lives in the ground. Badgers. Well, that's not what's being talked about here. I was amazed. I, I love it when I learn something new. And I found out that the badgers, uh, well, the, what really got me going on this is I looked up the word badger in the um, Hebrew lexicon. And you know what the definition of a badger is? A sea cow. A sea cow. It's like a manatee, except with a split tail. And... As I began to study even more, I found out that in those days, they made lots of shoes and even lots of tents out of the leather that comes from this animal. It's called a, let me see, what was the name of that? Um, oh, goodness, it must be on another. Oh, here it is. It's spelled D-U-G-O-N-G, a dugong, and that's how you pronounce it. Sounds kind of goofy, doesn't it? A dugong. But it's like a manatee or an otter, big, gigantic animal, sometimes 20 feet in length, they said. And the leather on these was used to to do a lot of things in those days. They were very common out of the Mediterranean Sea, as they would be now off of the West Coast and some other places as well. So the outside of the tent, and here's one of the things I want you to notice. The outside of the tent, if you had been standing over here looking back at the tent... And it was covered with the dugong leather. It wasn't really all that pretty and impressive, was it? In other words, all the beauty of the tabernacle could be seen from the inside, but it couldn't be seen from the outside. Hmm. Really, the same was true. When you stood on this side of the tabernacle, of course, no one could go in but the priest, but most of the people never saw the inside. They never saw the beauty. They never saw the tapestry. They never saw the the bread. They never saw the lampstand. They never saw the altar of incense, which we'll talk about next week. And they sure had never seen the most holy place with the ark set up. So from here forward, things looked pretty plain and simple on the outside. But boy, did it ever change when you walked in here. Watch this. You didn't find bronze in here. You found gold in here. This table was made of gold. Sorry, I didn't have enough gold to do all this. This table was made of gold. This table, listen. This thing right here, and that's, this is the best representation I had, folks, so, you know, give me a little credit for that. But this, this, this pales in comparison to the lampstand that God told them to build. Now, the Bible says, and I want you to understand, I'm not making any of this up. I can verify every bit of it with Scripture. The Bible says 
that God told Moses to make this lampstand out of 75 pounds of gold. Beaten gold. So they took 70, took enough gold to make, it was a talent. It's called a talent in the Bible, but a talent was 75 pounds. We know what 75 pounds is, so I'm going to use that. 75 pounds of gold, and then these artisans got together, and they began to beat that into shape, and they fashioned this elaborate, unbelievable candelabra, lampstand, or menorah, as it's called now most of the time by the Jews. Would anybody just like to hazard a guess in today's dollars what just that lampstand was worth? Anybody? Well, I'll save you some time. $1,875,000 of gold was in that thing. You say, we're not talking about a little struggling church somewhere. We're talking about God. Who was designing a place for his glory. To teach people something about who he is. When you take the gold that was in this and the gold that was in this table and the gold which was in this, which this certainly doesn't represent very well, and then the gold that would have been in the Ark of the Covenant, and the scripture gives us the weight of all these amounts, it comes to between 57 and 60 million dollars at the price of gold today, $1,522 an ounce. I don't know about, if you may not be impressed by that, but I was blown away by that. 57 to 60 million dollars worth of gold. And then there's silver. And then there's other things too. The, 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 the workings of the, the, the tapestry there. All would have been extremely, extremely expensive. First class. First rate. I was in, I don't know why the Lord keeps waking me up at four o'clock in the morning to give me sermons, but um, I'm not complaining, Lord. I'm just, I was laying in bed at four o'clock in the morning and you, the strangest thing in the world came to my mind. Now, don't y'all tell anybody I said this. On Thursday or Friday, I forget which day it was, I had to go to SunTrust Bank because... I wanted to see the vault. Now, I didn't tell them while I was there. I told them I wanted to see a safe deposit box. And I was thinking about getting one. And I am now. <laughs> but I wanted to see. So I want to give you this illustration. Maybe, you know, Jesus used illustrations, right? So I want to give you this illustration based on, on what I saw there. And when I walked into the bank... Uh, from the parking lot where the Gentiles would have been. And I walked inside into the lobby there, looked around. That would have been comparable to where we are. That would be the courts. Now, there was another place that we're not allowed to go, right? Because behind the counters were some ladies back there. What, what do we call them? Tellers, yeah. Tellers. Now, that's off limits for me and you. But did y'all know there's some good stuff behind that counter? Am I right? If you don't believe me, you go in there and hand them the right sheet of paper 
and see how many hundreds or thousands they'll hand you. There's some good stuff behind that counter. But still, there's a, there's a better place than behind the counter. Well, I feel the Lord right now. Because you can go behind the counter if you've got the authority to do so. And you can go into a room that's got more money in it that you can even imagine. We call it the vault in a bank. But in God's economy, he calls it the most holy place. The power of God is so strong and so powerful in the most holy place. And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, not today. It's a, and this is a wonderful place right here. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the altar of incense. And I'm going to tell you, there's some very important and, and significant and powerful goings on that happen right here. But when you go come through these doors right here into the holy place and you recognize Jesus as the bread of life and you understand that he's the light of the world and then you begin to praise him at the altar of incense, he has provided a place we can go and a position that we can stand in before him. I believe that's greater than anybody in this building even can imagine it being. Jesus did not die in vain. Jesus did not forgive us here so that we could spend our lives going back and forth from the altar to the labor. There's a lot more that Jesus paid for than that. And he invites us. Because I told you a couple of weeks ago, the Bible says that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are priests before the Lord ourselves. So we can't use the excuse only the priest could go. The Bible says we are priests. And we can go through these gates right here, this door, and we can come in and we can enjoy the bread of life. And we can enjoy the light of the world. And then we can come to this altar and we can give glory to God and it can touch our hearts and change our lives. But still, and a lot of us have been there, but I doubt many of us have been to the other place yet. But the Bible, the whole point of redeeming us, the whole point of saving us is so that we can have fellowship with God. Now watch this. Jesus is standing or Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's dying and he says, it is finished. And then what happened? The veil to the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. Open it up, giving us access to a God who has more power than we can even imagine. We treat God like he's weak and sick and anemic. God has all the power he's ever had. God wants to be more real to us. I think that any of us have ever allowed him to be. We, we, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just want to make a point here. We spend our time doing the same thing over burning these sacrifices. And every once in a while we want to wash up a little bit and get things right before the Lord. We need to, the Bible talks about leaving those things and moving on deeper in the Lord and understanding who he is and let him be the bread of life to us. 
and let him shine his light in us so we can understand who he is. It's like being in the lobby of the bank versus being in the vault. It's just that way, I believe, with us. We're hanging around in the lobby when we could be in the vault enjoying the blessings of the Lord. I'm not talking about money here. There's things a whole lot more important than money. The peace of mind that the Lord gives you. When you can lay down at night and know your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And you know you're going to heaven if you don't wake up here in the morning. You're going to wake up over there. Not knowing where the money's going to come from to pay the next bill. But you know that God's Jehovah Jireh, your provider. There's so much reality in living for the Lord and we like, we play patty cake with God and He wants us to come into the Holy of Holies and enjoy who He is and allow Him to be God to us. Anybody believe that? I'd like for you musicians to come. I think we need to sing that song. There's a, There's a reality and a depth in living for the Lord. I've got lots of scriptures, and I could go on, but I think we need to stop and we need to worship Him. There's a depth to living for the Lord that He wants us to experience. That we need desperately, but we've got to be hungry for it. We've got to be hungry for it. If you don't mind, I'd like for you to stand with me and I'd like for you to sing this song to the Lord. This is totally unplanned, but if you're here today and you just would kind of like to maybe ease into the holy place before the Lord as we sing this, you're welcome to do it. Let's sing together. like you, Lord, in all the earth. Matchless love and beauty in this world. Nothing in this world will satisfy. Jesus, you're the cup that won't i 
heaven. Your presence is heaven to me. Lord, there's many things that we desire. Some desire a new car. Some desire a new house. Some desire a new job. Some desire more money. A lot of things we want. And a lot of things we desire. But none of those things, nor anything else on this earth, can even come close in importance to the relationship that we have with you. There's not a doubt in my mind, not one at all, that you want to be more powerful, closer, more dearer, more real, more active in our lives than we have allowed you to be. You want to tear down walls? You want to mend relationships? You want to be Jehovah Jireh to us? Lord, we're fighting our own battles, doing our own thing, and all the time you're just waiting for us to do what the Word of God says. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And we can experience you being Jehovah Jireh, You'll provide for your people. You'll save our children and our grandchildren. You'll give us the right attitudes. You'll help us forgive those who've done us wrong. Lord, you'll help us be who you've called us to be. You'll wash us and cleanse us and make us whole. You'll fill us with your spirit. You'll help us to have communion with you, not only on a daily basis, but an hourly basis. Lord, if we'll just turn our hearts to you and allow you to work in our lives. Lord, some may think it's a little late in the year for for this type of prayer, but I'm going to I'm going to pray it anyway. I'm going to pray, Lord, that you would give each of us who are under my hearing right now a spiritual appetite that exceeds anything we've ever had before. Yes. Make us hungry. Make us hungry for the bread of life. Yes. Make us hungry for the light that only you can give. Make us hungry for a move of the Spirit of God in our church and in our lives and in our marriages. Make us hungry, Lord. Allow us not to be satisfied with what culture tells us is normal. You're not a cultural-oriented God. You're a supernatural God with power beyond what we can even imagine. Oh, Lord, shake our very foundations and bring us to a realization of who you are and what you want to do in this community, through this church, and the people, Lord, who call this place home. Oh, Lord, we surrender to you today. I claim the promise of Scripture today for this church, not just for me, but for this church. If we will draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How we love you today. How we love you today.
that again in just a moment. But I would like to say to you, if you're here and, and you're not where you need to be with the Lord, maybe you're not a Christian at all. I would like to say to you, you don't need to talk to the pastor. You need to talk to the master. Just a little talk with Jesus makes it right. I can't fix it for you, but the Lord can. And he needs to hear from you. And there's no better time than this very minute. As we stand in his presence and as we sing, if you need forgiveness, if you need healing, if you need to surrender, whatever it is you need to do with the Lord, I'm going to ask you to do it. Our our eyes are closed. We'll lift our hands and we'll sing to the Lord. It's between you and him now. Ask him to do for you what you need. And be sure to give him what he desires. Your life, your heart. I made up mine to follow him. In the presence of Jehovah.
listen, you care, you know, you see, and we honor you today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Now before we have Brother Chris to come and receive prayer requests, um, do you know that as we surrender to the Lord, as we draw near to Him, what are we supposed to do once we leave? Let His light shine. Let other people see. Carry that light to others. So I'd like for you to just sing with me this old hymn. And we're going to, after the close of this hymn, Brother Chris is coming to receive prayer requests. You might not have heard this one in a long time, but it tells us what we need to do. There's a call comes ringing o'er the restless way.
tell you, such a sweet spirit. Uh, a few months ago, I, I just had that feeling that God was taking us into a new place. And I just feel like we're stepping closer and closer. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I want to make sure I'm here yes. to experience it. Because these services are getting more sweeter and sweeter each week as we're coming in. We're getting ready to enter into a time of prayer. I did have a few requests given to me before the service. Uh, Sister Miranda Waddell uh, wanted us to remember her family in unspoken request. Frances Barnes was taken to the hospital this morning to Rex at 4.30 by the rescue squad. Uh, She wasn't having trouble breathing, not able to breathe. Um, She has been admitted, so we want to keep her in our prayers. Wanda Eaton has been sick for three weeks um, and called uh, Sister Nelda, I believe, asking for prayer. And then Shirley Blackley uh, was diagnosed with cancer, um, is asking for prayer. So we want to lift them up today as well as any that we may have. So if you have one unspoken, or if you want to speak out, please uh, feel free to anyone on this side of the room here. Okay. Pray for Mike. Remember Mike? Yes. The Lassiters? Yes, we want to remember them in prayer. In the back, anyone? Yes, ma'am. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. Sister. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes. Yes. Unspoken request. Yes. Family, anyone else over on this side? I'm trying to see under these lights. Anyone behind me today? I have a coworker having a heart procedure tomorrow. Her That's name cool. is Lori. If you'll remember her in prayer. Uh, one of my assistant principals. They uh, had their baby two weeks early at 38 weeks. Um, they've been in the hospital now, I believe, a week and a half. Um, blood glucose levels are low for the little uh, baby Ryan, uh, so I know they would appreciate your prayers. He is a believer. Um, and I know he's trusting with his church, and I'd let him know that I would give a, a verbal request today as well, um, that they could get out of the hospital, because that's not only, obviously, the baby in help, but it's trying on the parents as well. Um, and we want them to be able to experience the joy of that baby instead of having to be in there looking at them um, in that state. So remember Ryan this week um, and his family there. Any other requests? All right, let us bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this spirit here today, Lord. We thank you, God, that you tore the veil upon the cross, Father, the day that you gave up that spirit, Father, that we could enter into the Holy of Holies, Father. And so, Lord, as we draw closer and closer to you each week, Father, we pray that that spirit would be here, Father, yearning us to grow in with you, Father. Lord, you've heard each and every request that went up today, Lord. We lift them to you today, Father, those that were spoken and those that weren't, Father. You heard the words, God, and you know our hearts. So, Father, we put them at your feet, Father, expecting and knowing that we're going to hear good reports just as we have today, Father, in the coming weeks that prayers have been answered, Father. Keep each and every person here safe today, Father, as we go our separate ways and bring us back to worship you, Father, when the doors are open. For we give you glory, honor, and praise today and ask it all in your name. Amen.